0: Everything gonna be alright this morning.
1: Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire Hannah Five Names and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts II, better known as RP3.
2: Bit of uplifting news coming out of the NFL yesterday as Hamlin, DeMar Hamlin, the Buffalo Bills safety who suffered cardiac arrest in the Monday night football game, is doing far better. Substantial improvement is what's been reported on so much so that DeMar actually was able to regain consciousness and through written word asked who won the game. So it appears that Hamlin is on his slow road to recovery as he's regained consciousness after collapsing on the field during the first quarter of Monday night football game between the Bills and the Bengals. And he has spent the majority of this week in critical care in a Cincinnati area hospital. But it looks like he's doing better He's on the men. Also, the good news is that his mom reached out to T. Higgins, the Cincinnati Bengals wide receiver who was part of the collision that caused the freak accident and caused Hamlin to have the cardiac arrest. And for the teams involved, getting this jolt of positive news a few days before they have to play their regular season finale is exactly what they needed. Because now everyone involved can take a deep breath and relax a little bit. They can take a deep breath and go, okay, they can now exhale a little bit and possibly start turning their attention back to just playing football. Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and Company. I'm your host, the big, bald, and beautiful one, Raymond Parsha III, fully energized, great night of sleep. I'm joined by the producer extraordinaire, Miss Hannah Five Names. We got a good show lined up for you today. We're going to touch on a, a slew of different topics. Raging of men's basketball, getting a much-needed win in conference play last night at the Cajun Dome. The Menace men honoring Joe Dumars on Joe Dumars' day by getting a win over Northwestern State. We'll dive into those games for you. We'll also look ahead to Saints-Panthers with hearing from New Orleans Saints players and coaches. And we got two guests for you on this Friday edition of RP3 and Company. Connor O'Gara. Our friend from Saturday down south is going to join us at straight up 8 o'clock to help preview the national championship game on Monday night between TCU and Georgia. Going to break it down. Who does he got? Who does he like? That'll be coming up at 8 o'clock and 8.30 today. The Big Easy Blitz. TJ Jones from the State of the Saints podcast will hop on with us as we preview Saints-Panthers, the final game of the 2022 season for the black and gold. So we got two guests on the back end of today's show. Of course, that means plenty of time for you to give us a holler. Call the hotline, 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. On the same day that we find out the tremendous news about DeMar Hamlin, regaining consciousness, communicating, with family members and doctors, which is going to help ease everyone that has been involved in the terrible situation that took place Monday night between the Bills and the Bengals. But we also find out, or at least get a little bit more of a clue on what the NFL is going to do about this situation Because now that we know DeMar Hamlin is okay, or is going to be okay, how is the NFL going to handle this game that was played between two teams vying for either be the one seed, two seed, or three seed in the AFC playoffs? Once again, this is week 18. No more weeks of regular season play. It's all now. So what has the NFL come up with? Well, we do know for a fact that they will not resume the bills bengals game amid Hamlin's continued recovery. It has been scrapped. So what does that mean for playoff seeding? What does that mean for home field advantage? Well, they're going to vote on it. After Doctors... On Thursday, said earlier that Hamlin has shown substantial improvement, including communicating, writing, and moving his hands and feet. Though he remain though he can, is considered still critically ill, he is showing improvement. The NFL decides to announce that they're canceling the game, and they cited three key factors. The outcome would have no bearing on which teams qualified for the postseason, as the teams involved had already qualified for the postseason right? So no need to play a game with two playoff teams. Obviously that are already in the postseason playing the game would have altered the playoff schedule for the remaining teams. And thirdly, not playing the game would allow all clubs to know the postseason possibilities before the start of week 18. This is how it's going to break down Buffalo 12-3, 12-3, entered Week 17, tied with the Kansas City Chiefs, who are now 13-3, and three, for the best record in the AFC, but held the head-to-head tiebreaker against Kansas City. Cincinnati, 11-4, trailed both teams by one game, but would have held a three-way tiebreaker with a win over the Bills. With the official cancellation now, the Bengals are AFC North champions. That's done. And they beat the Chiefs in week 13 in a rematch of last year's AFC championship game. Because of the canceled game, the league's owners, that includes New Orleans Saints owner Gail Benson, will vote today, Friday, with 24 of 32 votes needed for a three-fourths majority to approve scenarios that have already been put forth by the competition committee on Thursday, which involves a neutral site for the AFC championship game. Here are your possibilities. If Buffalo and Kansas City both win or tie, In week 18, a Bills-Chiefs championship game will be held at a neutral site. No home field advantage for either the Chiefs or the Bills. If Buffalo and Kansas City both lose this weekend, that would also include Buffalo losing to New England, who's fighting for their playoff lives. And Baltimore wins or ties Cincinnati a Bills-Chiefs championship game will be at a neutral site. If Buffalo and Kansas City both lose and Cincinnati wins, a Bills or Bengals versus Chiefs championship game will be at a neutral site. This is the NFL's way of trying to make it fair because you're taking away a game that would have determined all of this and there's no way to make it up. There just isn't. You'd have to delay the postseason by a week, and everything's already set with television contracts and travel plans. All that's already done, right? So this is their best scenario. The potential neutral sites have yet to be determined. The seeds will hold up through the playoffs. Now, if both Buffalo and Kansas City win this weekend, the Chiefs would get the bye. If Buffalo wins and Kansas City loses, the Bills would be the number one seed and would get the bye. And no neutral sites would then come into play. It's a lot of going on. Or as he said in a statement, Roger Goodell recognizes that there's no perfect solution. Someone's not going to be happy with it. But... You had to do something. And the only thing that you can control is the games in front of you. All right, Kansas City wins. They know, hey, we'll get the one seed. We'll have home field until the championship game. In these scenarios, more than likely, an AFC championship game between... The Chiefs, Bills, and Bengals is going to be held at a neutral site. That's what it more than likely is going to have to happen. Now, is that fair to those teams? Is it going to be fair to Buffalo to not be able to host an AFC championship game in the frigid conditions there in Orchard Park with Bills Mafia coming out in full force? Yeah, it kind of sucks. Is it going to be a disadvantage for Kansas City? not to have one of the loudest places in the NFL rocking for an AFC Championship game at Arrowhead Stadium? Yeah. There's no perfect solution here. But credit the NFL for coming up with different scenarios. They're going to vote on them today. And that way teams understand and exactly know what's in front of them. Once again, Bengals already won the North now. Ravens clinched a playoff berth, so they're just doing that for seeding purposes. Cincinnati, probably, would they love to have the number one overall seed? Yes, but they're going to need Kansas City to lose and Buffalo to lose. Lots of different scenarios to happen there. They're coming off the Monday night game, which gets canceled, and it's an overwhelming experience for everyone involved. So I'll be interested to see what happens with Cincinnati this weekend against Baltimore, with essentially neither team really having all that much to play for, right? I mean, Cincinnati's won the division, Baltimore's clinched a wild card berth. Done. Cincinnati can still have a long shot of getting in there. But it's pretty much settled. Chiefs, Bills, Bengals, all in. Chargers have clinched a playoff berth. They're the five seed. Baltimore will be the six seed. And as it stands right now, New England's in the seven spot. Patriots, Dolphins, Steelers fighting for that final wild card berth in the AFC playoffs. We will have a game to decide an actual playoff team in the AFC as Jacksonville and Tennessee play each other with for the AFC South title on the line. Winner wins the division and gets to host a playoff game. And they would automatically be slated as the four seed. In the NFC, still going to have an interesting circumstances as well. On that side, we know Philly, San Francisco, Minnesota, Tampa Bay, Dallas, New York, they're all in. Philly and Dallas still have to figure out who's going to be the NFC East champion. 49ers are the division champs, Minnesota division champs, Tampa division champs. Giants have already clinched a wildcard berth. Seattle currently is at number seven. They hold the tiebreaker over Detroit based on the head-to-head win percentage. But Seattle, even with a win against the Los Angeles Rams this weekend, that would improve them to 9-8, and eight, does not mean that they would get the final playoff spot because Green Bay, if they beat Detroit, they would take it. So Seattle needs to win and then hope Detroit beats Green Bay. And Detroit needs Seattle to lose, and then they need to beat Green Bay to get the final playoff spot. By the way, you can listen to the Lions-Packers game Sunday night right here on the game with a playoff berth more than likely on the line. So still plenty to figure out. There's going to be some voting done today the NFL is putting forth a plan to try to make the best of this situation. They're not going to extend the regular season to try to sneak the game in. They're not going to change their playoff schedule. Really, there could be the possibility of having a neutral side AFC championship game if the Chiefs and Bills are playing in it. That's what it basically boils down to. We got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and company on this slightly chilly Friday, January 6th edition of our show, Raging Cajuns men's basketball team, boy, they needed a win. Had had started off conference play in the Sun Belt, 0-2. They got the win last night inside the Cajun Dome against Southern Miss. We'll talk about that next right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston
1: Astros. (music)
2: Let's head out to the hotline. Welcome on Matt to the show. Matt, good morning to you, brother. What's on your mind?
3: Good morning, Ray. Long time no speak, your resident Viking fan here, my friend. What's up, Hope bud? Hope everybody's doing well, man. Um so I, I got I think I have a solution here to our to our little issue. Okay. Number one, let's give bad respect to my boy Dekirk Suggan. He is falling <laughs> out this year and become a leader on that team, even though they got a minus and a point differential.
2: He's tried, man. He's, he's, he's had a nice season. He's had a nice season for them.
3: Yeah, he has. He turned into a leader, man. So, um, so I think what you do is being that both coaches decided, Hey, look, this is no good. We're not playing this game. We got to go. We got to take care of our guy, which is way more important It's the right decision, right? Perfect decision. But that decision was made. And I think you live with that and you go by winning percentage, and I think you, you determine the playoffs and the seeding by winning percentage at that, at that point, and you let the chips fall. Because both teams had games that they lost that they could have won, and you can't blame it on that game, on that freak accident. If you want to blame where you are in the seeding, you should have won the other three or four games that you lost. You know, and, and I don't think either the Bengals or the Bills are going to fret about that too much, if I'm completely honest. And if your solution to make an AFC championship game neutral site is you're dead set on that, which I don't think you should be, Um, I I don't think it makes a lot of sense, honestly, because, you know, for teams like Kansas City or or Buffalo, that home field advantage is a big deal, right? So I I think what you do is you do the same thing uh, that I did for my kids this Christmas. Uh, You know, they had never seen snow. So I took them to Santa's Wonderland so they could see some snow and what i think you should do for the people of houston since they've never seen an afc championship game you make that the neutral site
4: ah, ah, <laughs> oh i like ah. that
2: i like that
3: that's a and good there's no uh, weather because it's indoor
2: yeah i like that yeah and to answer to matt for you know I think Cincinnati understands that they have one more loss than both Kansas City and Buffalo, right? So, of it, it, yeah, you know, not being able to play the game against the Bills, that would launch them up a spot, and would give yep. them a better a, a better chance. But I think you know, you're like, hey, you know what? All right, th- this is what's going to be. We'll host uh, at least the wild card round, and, and yeah. we'll go we'll go from there. For for Buffalo and Kansas City. You know, once again, I'm going to be intrigued to see what happens with the Bills this week. Because once again, all these scenarios that they're going to vote on today are all going to be put in place and hinge on what happens this weekend. So if Buffalo struggles to get emotionally focused against New England and loses to New England, then it doesn't matter, right? Like all these neutral site games won't matter because they'll drop down a spot and if Kansas City wins then Kansas City's going to have home field advantage it won't matter what happens Absolutely. so so it buffalo is in an interesting uh, an interesting situation because unlike cincinnati who already has clinched the division and is playing baltimore who's already clinched a wild, wild card berth you know they they really don't have to play that game cuz everything's already yeah. been kind of figured out For Buffalo, even though they've won the division, New England's still trying to get into the playoffs. So the Patriots got something to play for. So that that puts Buffalo in this weird spot of trying to get past their player being hospitalized for cardiac arrest and then still Mm -hmm. trying to beat a division rival to keep them out of the playoffs. It's going to be a bizarre weekend for the Bills for for sure.
5: For
3: sure. And and two things. Number one – you know, I, the vote needs to be on. Hey, should we should we kick the the Patriots out of the playoffs to move Miami up? Because nobody wants to see the Patriots. That's a train wreck, man. That's bad. I mean, that's what, what's going on with Matt Patricia is horrible. That's that's one thing. Number two, the last thing I think I would want to see if I'm an AFC playoff team first week of playoffs is Buffalo. I think by that time. If we keep seeing the progression that we're seeing with DeMar Hamlin and he continues to get better and better and better, that team is going to be motivated, they're going to be focused, and they're going to use him as a motivator, and they are going to play out of their minds. That defense is going to be ridiculous, and I would not want to play them.
2: And they feel – they do kind of feel like a team of destiny, so to speak, right? Because they also had the blizzard to deal with where they, yep. had to be, they had to leave their homes to deal with that and had to play away from Orchard Park uh, for a game. So it kind of yep. feels that way about Buffalo. You're right, brother. But once again, yep. the biggest thing is they have to get over the mental hurdle of what happened on Monday. And if they can do that, then they can put together something special. Appreciate the phone call, bud. Hope yeah, you man. have a great Thanks. weekend. Yep. Bye-bye. Buffalo, it's – what do they got in the tank? How are they going to prepare for this weekend? Knowing that they're already in the postseason, right? Once again, Buffalo's already locked up the division. Now, you can go through these scenarios of them trying to get home field advantage or trying to do this and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But what's their focus going to be like? They're going to have to come out. You know they're going to play with emotion. Are they going to play with too much emotion? We've seen that happen before as well. Are they going to be able to focus even though their teammate is doing better and he's starting to communicate and he's moving his some of his hands and his feet, he still remains in critical condition? And they're still going to be stepping onto the field for the first time since their teammate suffered cardiac arrest on the field. It's going to be a challenge no matter what. Good phone call there by Matt. we got to take a timeout. When we return here in RP3 and company, we're going to head over to the hardwood. UL men in action got a win last night at the Cajun Dome. McNeese men in action honoring Joe Dumars. They got a win as well. We're going to recap both of those games for you coming up next right here on Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. And you're home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros.
0: Yeah, for sure, because it's tonight, so you know, it's the next game. But no, I, I, I think you're right. It's conference home opener. I thought we played really well against Sanford too, just two games ago at home, right? And so, uh, really proud of the effort tonight. I thought our defense was outstanding early, and held them to seven field goals in the first half. And you know, Crowley got in thirty. He was player of the week, and I thought Kentrell Garnett did a nice job on him. Uh, and then Haas, Greg Williams out there guarding Haas. You saw how big that, that kid is. And uh, he's a load. He played, what, 38 minutes tonight and had maybe nine points and three rebounds. So I thought we did a fantastic job on him. We knew Pinckney was capable. And he had a good night. Uh, but really proud of our defense from start to finish, and which, which makes it a, a really good win for us. Joe and Jalen, both probably didn't stat great. But they, they both had big plays in the game and played well. And this game had a little different flow to it. You know, we, we couldn't get the ball to Jordan. We were trying. Uh, and they were pressing the whole game. We were able to score some off their press. Uh, and then Kobe, same thing in the first half. We looked to play him in the second half. We had a group out there that was playing well defensively and uh, just didn't, didn't think that we needed him in that situation. But the next one would be totally different. So you may have two other guys coming in here next.
2: Louisiana Raging Cajun's men's basketball coach Bob Marlin talking to the media last night following a 75 to 61 win over Southern Miss. After starting off Sunbelt Conference play 0-2, they get their first win to try to get things back on track. Kentrail Garnett scored a career high 20 points in the game as he went 7-10 shooting, including 6-8 of from three-point range. And look, they needed this. Preseason team of the year predicted to win the conference. Expectations sky high with the amount of talent they have on this roster, the amount of experience they have on this roster. And, you know, they let one get away from them on the road against Coastal Carolina open-up conference play last week. They were up by 10 with five to go. Let it slip away from them. Old Dominion, the the best thing that Old Dominion has in men's athletics is their men's basketball team. So it's tough to win on the road, cross country, right? Against a quality opponent, Old Dominion loss, you can kind of live with. The loss to Coastal is the one that, uh, you oh, what's going on? But they came out strong last night. Opened up the game on a 12-4 run. Shooting 63% from the field. During that same run, they held Southern Miss only 17% shooting. Now the Eagles were able to close the gap a little bit. And they took advantage of the raging cages turning over the ball five times. But the problem was... Southern Miss couldn't capitalize on those extra possessions. Missing seven shots. Despite being sloppy with the ball, Cajun still held an eight-point lead. And then right before the half, 11-0 run to make it 37-21 with a minute 21 remaining before the break. Held a comfortable lead. Southern Miss tried to rally in the second half, tried to close the gap. But every time they did, the Cajuns came up big, scoring a couple back-to-back buckets to keep Southern Miss at bay as they picked up a comfortable win. And the guard play in particular, Cantrell and others, was crucial in last night's game.
0: Yeah, it was big. We hit some threes early, and, and of course, Kentrell's always involved in that. I think Greg hit one right, but... Joe hits one and gave give us a, a nice cushion, but those guys were fantastic. And besides Kentrell getting a career high, I thought he did a fantastic job on on uh, Crowley. I mean, Crowley's a good player. He had thirty the other night uh, and got Player of the Week.
2: Kentrell, you know, this is a guy that you know what his potential is. Having the game like he did last night makes you go, hey. This gives this team another weapon, and we haven't seen this from Kentrell. We know he's capable of it, but we finally got to see it last night, and, you know, he talked about his mindset heading into last night's game.
6: We talked about before the game, Coach Case talked about um, being desperate, especially on defense, you know, because we didn't guard too well on the road, so we we needed a win. It was a must-win game for us, so our mindset in practice, we had two good practices and then we played hard today, so that was the biggest thing for us, just playing harder than we have been, especially defensively.
2: Playing hard, practicing hard. You heard him say it, right? A lot of coaches will tell you that the game really isn't won on game day. It's won based on what you did leading up to the game. And if you have some practices where you have sloppiness, you don't execute, maybe it's not maximum effort, sometimes that carries over to the actual game. But you could tell last night that this was a team that was focused. This was a team determined to get their first conference win and to get their season back on track after they suffered three straight losses, to to open up conference play. Themis folks has been a bright spot for this team as well. Contributing in a flurry of different ways. And look, sometimes he does it with his ability to score. Sometimes it's with his defense. Sometimes it's what the other things that he does in the game. And for him, he goes, look, it's real simple. His job is simply to go out there and make plays.
6: Nah, my own my role on the team is just to make plays. So whether that's me catching shooting, whether that's me penetrating, I mean, guys on the team had it going today, so why not penetrate, get trail some O threes, get G some O threes. I mean, just whatever the team needs.
2: Whatever the team needs. Got to like that. I know Bob Marlin likes that. Cajuns get the win. Once again, 75-61 over Southern Miss. They improved to one and two in conference play, and now the Raging Cajuns will quickly return to action tomorrow, Saturday night inside the Cajun Dome, as they host Georgia State. This is a good rivalry series between the two programs. Georgia State has always been a thorn in the Cajun side. Tip-off is scheduled for 7 o'clock Saturday night there inside the Cajun Dome. And, man, if they could get back-to-back wins and get to 500 in conference play, and Georgia State is always a quality win. Like, if you can beat Georgia State, I don't care if the Panthers are down or not. It really doesn't matter. just doesn't. They are a quality opponent, and they give teams fits all the time. All the time. While the Cajuns were getting a win inside the Cajun Dome last night, the Medneas Cowboys were having a special night. It was Joe Dumar's day inside the Legacy Center. In between the women's game, which ran a little bit long, and the men's game, there was a ceremony. Packed house, more than 3,300 people in attendance, most people inside the Legacy Center before the Hurricanes. It's been that long since that many people were inside that building. They all came out for Joe. His wife was there. His two kids were there, and they unveiled the court In his honor. Did a nice ceremony beforehand. You saw me share uh, some photos and videos on social media last night. Where they unveiled it. Had his jersey. Brought his jersey down from the rafters to have it there on courtside next to him. Did a nice presentation. And Joe spoke to the 3,300 plus people in attendance to witness Joe Dumar's day. They had t-shirts. Thought it was really nice that the team came out in warm-ups. And they were all wearing... The Joe Dumars t-shirts and all had the same number on. It was nice. Uh, tons of autographed Joe Dumars shirts in a, in, in the crowd because he signed autographs. And then the team went out there and said, you know what? Joe, you're the greatest player in program history. Naismith Basketball Hall of Famer. You know what we're going to do? We're going to go out there and beat the team you grew up practicing with in Natchitoches. This is exactly what they did on Joe Dumar's day. As the Cowboys took down the rival Demons 92-77 to inside the Legacy Center. They start off conference play 2-0, and by the way, with wins over Lamar and Northwestern State. And the Demons, by the way, who have been on a skid of late. But this is the same Demons team that took down top 15 ranked TCU on the road. So this is a capable team. This is a good team. And the Cowboys got the job done. Harwin Francois, career night for him. Career night for him. 20 points. He went 6 of 11 from three-point range. He got things started right off the bat. Drops a three-pointer. NSU answers with a quick layup. And then the Demons took an early lead with a dunk by Jalen Hampton but that was really the last lead they ever had because McNeese answered as Francois hit another three-pointer, which sparked a 12-3 run for the Cowboys. NSU was able to trim it down to five, but that's the closest they would get in the first half. McNeese held a comfortable 48-35 lead at the break. NSU did make a game of it, opened up the second half on a 7-0 run, but McNeese answered with three straight three-pointers. <laughs> They hit a season-high 15 in this game as they were able to maintain that double-digit lead in the second half as they improved 2-0 in Southland Conference play. In addition to Francois having a career night scoring, Christian Shoemate continues to improve since they've switched how they're utilizing their team. They went with small when with multiple guards. That lets Christian be able to attack the basket, which he likes to do. And guess what? He had a double double 15 points and 13 boards in last night's victory over the demons. And John Aiken discussed afterwards just how important it was and what it's like being 2-0 in Southland conference play.
7: I put it on the back of our t-shirts that we handed out in June championship expectations and the only way you do that is going 1-0 and as many times as possible. And so we talked about tonight was a championship game. I mean, coach Mike Moynihan does our scouts uh, for personnel and he's one of the last coaches to talk to the team before I do. And he said, let's cut down the nets tonight because that's our mentality. We want every game to feel like a championship level game. Um, and so through two games, we're 2-0. and We have to go 1-0 and again on Saturday and we need to continue to stack. I hope, I really hope Lake Charles, uh, McNeese saw what tonight was, the atmosphere. Yes, it was about Joe uh, and it was great to honor him, but we have a really exciting team. We have a great brand of basketball that's exciting to watch. Um, Students should be coming back into town, come out on Saturday and support us. We need this place to get rocking like it was in 2020. Um, And we at least deserve it one more time because of what happened tonight. So I hope that it pays off for us and we, we continue to gain some momentum. But it's great to be 2 0. Um, but I am a little greedy and I do want to get better. Uh, and hopefully, it's nice to learn from winning. Uh, we'll have some film that we can learn from winning, but we do need to learn. And um, it's a great position to be in, but not satisfied by any means.
2: And for John, there was a concern about emotions running too high, right? Even himself, in the second half of this ball game, They went on a run, and he got so fired up, he came out there, and he was wearing the Joe Dumars T-shirt underneath his jacket, and he started just throwing his hands up in the air like he was a hype man at a rap concert to the home crowd, and then he came over to midcourt and was trying to get the other side of the court to do the same thing. And we're like, emotions ran high because it was an electric atmosphere, and Coach Aiken talked about emotions being high not only for himself but for his guys – with Joe Dumars being honored before the game. Uh,
7: just an unbelievable opportunity. And so for me, it was hard at the beginning of the game not get too caught up in the emotions of the, of the moment. Um, and same for my guys. I was worried that they might make the moment too big, and they didn't. You know, they came out and they really executed, especially early. I mean, really good. But I challenged our fan base before the game. Uh, I challenged our guys We have to find a way to have this kind of atmosphere as many nights as possible. I mean, it's great to do it one time with Joe and it helps that we won, especially the way that we did, but we need to do it again on Saturday. We need to put a product on the floor that uh, creates this type of environment uh, because if we continue to win with the tournament coming here in March, we should have more nights like this and this place can be a really special place to play. uh, it's a it's an unbelievable job, and so I'm really thankful that the, that the night went the way it did, that we played how we played, uh, that we honored Joe in the way that we did. It was awesome.
2: We mentioned Harwin Francois career night for him, and just he he set the tone right. Hit that first three pointer, and off they went. The Cowboys did, and he was asked, you know, did you know you were going to be on fire tonight?
3: I've been doing a lot of shooting workouts with uh, our assistant coach, Coach Mike, and uh, we've been doing this NBA shooting drill, which has uh, really helped me a lot. So after I hit that first one, I was just going to let it fly all night, really.
2: And that kind of confidence is contagious because once you have the first shot drop, you're like, hey, man, fall oh, man, I'm feeling it. And then the other guys feed off of that, and that's how it works. McNeese – 2-0 now in Southland conference play. They'll welcome in Texas AM Commerce on Saturday there at the Legacy Center as well. Try to get to 3-0 in conference play. We got to take a timeout. When we return, we'll unveil our poll question of the day and wrap up hour number one. That's all next, right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station in your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. <laughs> poll question of the day on this friday january 6 here on rp3 and company we ask you does it matter to you if the saints beat the panthers in the finale on sunday they're not making the playoffs they've already ensured that philadelphia won't get a top 10 draft pick so that's i guess a little bit of a moral victory if you will but does it matter to you yes you always want to win You ride and die for the black and gold, and you want to see them take down the kitty cats. Or no, it doesn't matter. Right now, 69% of you say yes, always want to win. 31% say no, it does not matter. JPK, the OD, says you always want to win, especially against a division opponent. So go vote on our poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Just make sure you keep it clean for the kids. That's going to do it for hour number one, hour number two, coming up right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh,
1: yeah.
0: Everything, everything.
2: Positive update on Darwin Hamlin as we find out yesterday that the Buffalo Bills safety who has been hospitalized since being taken off the field via an ambulance after suffering cardiac arrest during Monday night football game between the Bills and the Bengals woke up and communicated a little bit was able to write something asked if His team had won the game. That was one of the first things on his mind. Also was able to move hands and toes a little bit. So still in critical condition, but definitely positive signs in his recovery from what occurred on Monday night. While that is positive news, The NFL also unveiled what its plans are going to be to resolve the issue of not having that game played. It is not going to be played. They're not going to extend the regular season. They're not going to try to squeeze this game in. It is simply not going to be played. What that does do is creates some interesting playoff scenarios. With the bills bengals game not being played, Will not resume as DeMar Hamlin continues to recover. The NFL is going to vote on a few different scenarios. And this is how this is going to boil down once again. Because of the canceled game, the league's owners will vote today, Friday. And they'll need 24 of the 32 voters, uh, owners rather, needed for a three-fourths majority vote to approve on scenarios that are already approved by the competition committee yesterday. Which essentially involves a neutral site for the AFC championship game. These are, of course, dependent on what occurs this weekend. So if Buffalo loses to New England and Kansas City wins, there's going to be no need for a neutral site AFC championship game if Kansas City gets to the AFC Championship game, right? So, there's a lot of different scenarios. But this weekend, one of the more bigger games, one of the more important games, is New England versus Buffalo. Patriots are trying to get into the postseason. Buffalo is already clinched. So, they're going to vote. If Buffalo and Kansas City both win or tie this weekend, a Bills-Chiefs championship game will be at a neutral site. Won't be held at Arrowhead Stadium. Won't be held at Orchard Park. If Buffalo and Kansas City both lose, and Baltimore wins or ties with Cincinnati in their regular season finale, A Bills-Chiefs championship game will still be at a neutral site. If Buffalo and KC both lose and Cincinnati wins, Bengals take down the Ravens in the regular season finale. A Bills or Bengals versus Chiefs championship game would be at a neutral site. Potential neutral sites have not yet been determined. Matt, though, did recommend in hour number one when he called the hotline, 337-706-0111, to go ahead and use Houston Texans' home stadium because they've never experienced an AFC championship game. No, they have not. (laughs) No, they have not. Now, if Buffalo and Kansas City both win this weekend, the Chiefs will get the bye. If Buffalo wins and Kansas City loses, the Bills will be the number one seed and get the bye, and no neutral sites would then come into play. So a lot is still going to be on the line this weekend. And we know Buffalo will be playing with heavy hearts. We know it's going to be a challenge for them to be focused. But it is a division rival and a division rival that's fighting to get into the playoffs. And depending on what else happens, Buffalo could find themselves as the one seed and not have to worry about playing a neutral site game. It's a lot of what-if scenarios. The NFL trying its best here, knowing it's not going to be perfect, but there was going to be no scenario where they're going to ever be able to play that game. You just can't. You just don't have time. So this is what's going to happen. So still plenty to play for this weekend. Even though with the no contest now decided in that game, that eliminates any chance for Baltimore to win the division. The Bengals are now AFC North champs. Baltimore needed Cincinnati to lose that game and then win the head-to-head in the regular season finale to win the AFC North. So since he's division champs, that's done. Baltimore has already clinched a wildcard berth. That's done. So what are the two teams really going to be playing for? The possibility of maybe getting a higher seed? We'll see. Buffalo's going to be taking on New England because that final wild card spot in the AFC is still up for grabs. New England, Miami, Pittsburgh. All vying for it. Not to mention, the AFC South division title has to be decided. Winner of the Jacksonville Jaguars-Tennessee Titans game. Wins the division. Gets the four seed. Loser, out. Win or go home. So, plenty of drama this weekend. What happened on Monday obviously adds to it. And adds a little bit more intrigue to the proceedings this weekend across the National Football League. But you still have division races that have to be decided. You still have playoff seating to be decided. And the NFC is the same way. Still haven't figured out who's going to be the NFC East champ. That'll be decided. Is it going to be Philly or is it going to be Dallas? And who's going to take that final spot in the NFC? Right now, Seattle's in the driver's seat, but... Even if the Seahawks win, if Green Bay beats Detroit on Sunday night football, they'll have the head-to-head tiebreaker over the Seahawks and they'll get the final wild card spot in the playoffs. So Seattle needs to beat the Los Angeles Rams, the defending champs, who are lost at sea. And Seattle needs Detroit to beat Green Bay. Green Bay simply needs to win. Green Bay wins, they're in. It's that simple. Detroit needs some help. Detroit needs the Rams to upset the Seahawks because Detroit lost the head to head to Seattle. And then Detroit needs to turn around and beat Green Bay. Either way, Sunday night's going to have plenty of intrigue because even if, say, Seattle wins and that eliminates Detroit from the equation, the Lions would love nothing more to ruin the season for Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers by beating them in Lambeau to keep them out of the playoffs. Detroit would love nothing more because the Lions exceeded expectations this season wildly Plus, they have a top-ten pick from the Rams. They have a bunch of great pieces. They have their own first-round pick, but they have all the Rams picks, too. So, Detroit would love nothing more than on Sunday night, nationally televised audience to beat Aaron Rodgers and the Packers at Lambeau to keep them out of the playoffs. So, plenty of intrigue across the National Football League this coming weekend. Poll question of the day. It's about that intrigue. Saints eliminated, not making the playoffs, but they will be taking on the Carolina Panthers, a team they lost to earlier in the season, a team that's fired their head coach, traded away their best offensive player, traded away their best wide receiver, has Sam Darnold playing quarterback. Saints would like to end the season with four straight wins, build some momentum for the offseason and even up the season series against the Panthers, a rival. So we asked you, even though the playoffs aren't on the line, does it matter to you if the Saints beat the Panthers in the finale? 65% of you say yes, always want to win. 35% of you say no, it doesn't matter. Let's get to some early comments this morning. Ton on Twitter says, yes, I don't care if you're oh whatever, you want to win. Salty Steve says, the NFL isn't going to flex the game, LOL. (laughs) No, they're not flexing the game. Darren, number one Raging Cajun fan of RP3 and company, just shared the simple gif of The Rock saying, it doesn't matter what you think. I know a lot of people check out on their team once they're eliminated. Right? Oh, we're not making the postseason, I don't care. I always want my team to win. Always. I want my commanders to win this weekend. They missed out on the playoffs. Terrible quarterback play. Terrible management. I'm upset with my team. I still want my team to win. doesn't matter if they didn't make the playoffs. still want my team to win. In college, if my team doesn't make the playoff or doesn't make a marquee bowl game, I still want my team to win the bowl game. It's always puzzled me, the quote-unquote fan who checks out on his team because they didn't make the postseason. You know what I say to you? You're you're probably not really a fan. You ride with your team during the good times, and you ride with them to the bad times, and you always cheer them on, and you always try to help them win a game. Those are the rules. Those are the rules. You want to be considered a real diehard fan? You roll with that team no matter what. You're like Darren, who went up to the Independence Bowl and froze his took us off and watched his team lose, but he was there and he wanted his team to win. It didn't matter that it was the Independence Bowl. He wanted his team to win, right? That's what it's all about, man. So those numbers should be higher. Thirty-five percent of you say it doesn't matter. Who are these people?
8: I mean, my my team is not doing great. They aren't aren't they aren't you know the greatest. they would be mad a lot of the season to the point that I got dricky for how mad I was. But I still want them to win because a win is a win.
2: You still want the team to win, especially against a division rival. Oh yeah. Especially against a division rival, you 100%. want them to win. Yes. Say yes. Say yes. Go vote yes. Please. Oh, she's asked nicely now. There we go. We got to take a timeout. We'll take your phone calls. Game hotline's open. No guests this hour. So if you want to chop it up with us, feel free to give us a call. Hotline 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. If you're lucky, Hannah will practice some dance moves for you while you wait on the phone. You're listening to The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and you're home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros.
1: RP3 is known across Acadiana as a master of the English language.
2: You look at all the guys that they got. Clinton Anukuraru? oof, and I don't know how to pronounce this young man's name. T.J. Falola? More like a master of broken English, that is. They also added an inside linebacker, Casey Wasawi. These names are killing me, man. I even practiced <laughs> last night.
0: Me fail English? That's impossible.
1: Now back to that silky smooth delivery of RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station.
2: Some interesting news coming out of college athletics. Michigan Wolverines head football coach Jim Harbaugh, there's been some rumors ramping up concerning him bolting his alma mater for an NFL job. Some reports out there have even indicated that Jim, if offered an NFL job, period, will take it. Now, others deny that. But Harbaugh isn't helping things with saying, uttering phrases like, I think I'll be here next year. Uh, Bud, just say you will or you're not. (laughs) Just, and that leads to some speculation. Now, he's done a nice job at Michigan. Yes, they lost in the college football playoff for the uh, second straight year. And they've lost their bowl game now six consecutive seasons. But he's won two Big Ten championships, and has gotten to the playoff back-to-back years. So he's done a nice job bringing Big Blue back to relevance. But the rumor mill about him bolting to come back to the NFL, remember, yes, he previously coached in college, memorably at Stanford, where he had a great run there, before going to the NFL, where he had an even better run with the San Francisco 49ers. So we know he would love to get back into the NFL. Which jobs would really appeal to him? That remains to be seen. Is Arizona going to be an option? We know Carolina will be an option. There's rumors swirling around if the Miami Dolphins don't make the playoffs that they're going to fire their first-year head coach because that's a franchise that's not very – they're just not run well going ahead and firing coaches after one year really that's what we're doing but while all this is swirling with Harbaugh's name being linked to NFL vacancies or soon-to-be vacancies which has become a thing for a while now this is not a new development Harbaugh though did reiterate his intention Thursday to remain with the Wolverines in 2023 but the NCAA is investigating the program for alleged violations during the COVID-19 recruiting dead period, sources have told ESPN. The violations include alleged impermissible contact with recruits during the NCAA-mandated dead periods, as well as the use of a defensive analyst for on-field coaching activities, a which is a rules violation. Sources tell ESPN that Harbaugh's cooperation with the NCAA Enforcement staff during the investigation is also being examined. Harbaugh could face penalties that include multiple game suspension. Michigan has not received a notice of allegations from the NCAA yet, but could in the coming days or weeks, according to the sources. Maybe that would also lead Jim to leave his alma mater for the pastures of the NFL as well. The NCAA has prepared a draft of notice of allegations to give to Michigan, according to the source. That includes a level one violation for Jim Harbaugh, not compiling with or misleading NCAA investigators. Level one violations are the most serious and can lead to harsher penalties. The draft also includes four level two violations centered around the impermissible recruiting contact during the COVID period, according to the source. These violations are less serious and are the ones Harbaugh was asked about by NCAA enforcement staff. Michigan Athletic Director Ward Manuel, when reached Thursday by ESPN, declined to comment. The Athletic and journalist John Bacon first reported that Michigan is under investigation by the NCAA. So, we'll see. We'll see. He's a Michigan man. He's done very good there. He's ruffled some feathers. I get all that. With his comments and his behavior, but he has turned Michigan around. They're no longer a joke. They're nationally ranked, and they're in the hunt for the college football playoff. Year after year. But, man, you get on the wrong side of the NCAA, the wrong side, And now you're talking about possibly having multiple game suspensions. Sometimes when those violations come down from the NCAA, that results in scholarship reductions. Sometimes postseason ban. None of it is good. Now, of course, Michigan can appeal and go through all that process, but if they're building up a case with multiple violations, both level one and level two, Not great. And remember, Harbaugh has flirted with the NFL since being back at Michigan, his alma mater. He interviewed for the Vikings head coaching vacancy in February, but opted to return to Michigan. At that time, he told the Detroit Free Press that he informed Manuel that his NFL pursuit was, quote, a one-time thing, end quote, and would not be a recurring theme every year. I don't believe Jim, and neither should you. He's a coach that's getting paid millions of dollars to coach who's going to be coveted by NFL teams who have millions of dollars to give him. Just always like to point that out. Money always talks. Two Big Ten championships, two college football playoff appearances, He's been Ohio State now in consecutive seasons for the first time since 1999-2000. That's when Lloyd Carr was there. That's before Michigan ran him off. And then the next decade was not great. Harbaugh 74-25 at Michigan. He's a good coach. A really good coach. Probably top five, top ten coach in college football. And he is going to be coveted because don't forget, He led the 49ers from 2011 to 2014, winning 44 games and going to three consecutive NFC championship games. Oh, and also went to a Super Bowl. All those teams that have vacancies would love nothing more. Love nothing more. Whether it's the Texans that are going to have a vacancy or the Panthers or the Cardinals or whoever it may be. All of them would back up the Brinks truck to get Jim Harbaugh in their facility and hire him as their head coach. Whether or not he goes, whether or not this NCAA investigation forces his hand and maybe forces him out the door, remains to be seen. Also, in the world of college athletics, University of Texas has fired Chris Beard amid the domestic family violence charges that he is facing. Beard was fired on Thursday less than one month after the school suspended him without pay following his arrest on a domestic family violence charge. Associate head coach Rodney Terry, who's been acting head coach since Beard's suspension, will remain in charge the rest of the season. Longhorns athletic director Chris Del Conte released a statement on Thursday announcing the decision Quote, the University of Texas is part of ways with Chris Beard. This has been a difficult situation that we've been diligently working through today. I inform Mr. Beard of our decision to terminate him effective immediately. Whew. He was arrested on the morning of December 12th after his fiance, Randy True, told officers he choked her from behind, bit her, and hit her when the two got in an argument. True has since released a statement. On December 23rd, in which she denied telling police, Beard choked her. Quote, Chris did not strangle me, and I told that to law enforcement that evening. Chris has stated that he was acting in self-defense, and I do not refute that. I do not believe Chris was trying to intentionally harm me in any way, end quote. True's statement, though, did not address why she made the emergency phone call or other details in the police report, such as the bite marks and abrasions on her face, and telling officers that she couldn't breathe for about five seconds. The Travis County District Attorney's Office released a statement to ESPN on Thursday, hours before Beard was fired, saying the matter is still under review and prosecutors are evaluating all the evidence. This day and age, those are very, very Serious and damning allegations and something to be arrested for. Beard was hired to be the Texas head men's basketball coach in 2021 after spending five wildly successful seasons at rival Texas Tech. In his lone full season in Austin, Beard led the Longhorns to a 22-12 and 12 record before losing in the second round of the NCAA tournament. Texas was off to a 7-1 and one start before Beard's arrest. And now he is fired. It was in the second season of a fully guaranteed seven-year contract. We got to take a timeout. More RP3 and company coming up. We'll update our poll question of the day. And we'll also take your phone calls. Game hotline's open, 337-706-0111. You're listening to RP3 and company right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros.
1: There are two types of sports reporters, those who are respected for their ability at building relationships with coaches and players. And here's our game plan. Then there are those whose method of reporting is getting hammered with a college football team at Pat O's. You guess which one RP3 is. Back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's Fort Station.
2: Lafayette marble and granite offers the largest selection of granite quartz and marble in Acadiana. And let me tell you, they appreciate the opportunity to earn your business. They earned mine. Wife and I were looking at doing our master bath remodel. She could not find the quartz, the marble she wanted for the bathroom. We went to place after place after place. Sometimes she would find it, but they couldn't do the cut she wanted. Thankfully, We found LMG, and they wanted the chance to earn our business. We went and saw them, saw their showroom, saw their selection of great marble. Not only did my wife find the marble she wanted, she got it in the cut she wanted. Customer service was outstanding, so much so that Chris and his team at LMG are going to be handling our kitchen remodel. And look. They provide more than show-stopping marble countertops, though, for your kitchens, bathrooms, and man caves. They also now have an extensive selection of custom shower builds with a new line of grout-free showers. Make sure to visit their website, lmgelite.com. That's lmgelite.com. Throwing out out all the sensational services and tremendous products they have to offer. Live inventory is updated every single Wednesday. So visit LMGelite.com. That's LMGelite.com. Or stop by there soon. Stop by their showroom soon. Go check it out. It's newly renovated. It's right there across from the Jockey Lot in Hub City Ford on I-49 North. It's Lafayette, Marvel, and Granite. They're looking to earn your business, and trust me, earn it they will Let's check it out on the poll question of the day on this lovely slightly chilly Friday morning January 6th regular season of the NFL wraps up this weekend Saints they're not in the playoffs they're not making it doesn't matter what happens against the Carolina Panthers even if they win they're not in but You could avenge the loss to the Panthers earlier this season. And it's a divisional rival. Plus, you always want your team to win. It's not all about postseason success. You want your team to win. Always want your team to win. So we asked you, does it matter to you if the Saints beat the Panthers in the finale on Sunday? 67% of you say yes, always want to win. 33% of you say no, it doesn't matter. How does it not matter? Call me old-fashioned. Call me a traditionalist. I always want my team to win. I want my team to win as much as possible. But some of y'all out there saying, "Uh uh-uh, RP, we don't care. What's up? We're done. This team ain't making the playoffs. Why should I even bother? Because you should bother because it's your team. You ride with your team no matter what. When they're high on high, you ride with them. You support them when they're trying to get into the playoffs and they're making deep playoff runs and they're trying to play for championships. You you support them then. You also support them when they're down. That's how it works, people. This isn't hard. Let's head out to the hotline. Welcome on, Mr. Green, to the show. First question to you, Mr. Green, even though you called us to ask questions, I'm going to ask you a question. Is that okay? That's fine with me. All right, that was my first question. I got a second question. Uh Uh-oh. How do you feel this week, bud? First week back in school with the little ones. It's Friday morning. You survived the first week at school back from the holiday break. How are you feeling?
4: Uh, I got to tell you, I'm feeling pretty good. It's, uh, it's been a nice break getting away from my two-year-old and my five-year-old. Take that, family. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's been a good week, man. The kids have just been kind of zombies because they're still recovering from staying up too late for so long, so they're just kind of walking and going through the motions. We haven't really had too many issues yet. I'm sure as they wake up, it'll get it, it'll get bad, but so far, so good.
2: So far, so good. He says, "Take that five and two year old. I'll have to deal with you." Oh, I love it. I love it. What's on your mind, brother?
4: I, I got two. I got two perspectives from the uh from the poll question today. First of all, I always want my team to win. I don't care if they are, are are David and they're facing Goliath. I always want my team to win. Um, there's never a game that I, I don't care about, unless you know it's one that should be an easy win, and even then I care more because I don't want them to screw it up. So I always want my team to win. But the second part is this. If I'm a Saints fan, I want the Saints to win. It doesn't matter that they're not going to the playoffs. I want them to win because I don't want that pick that's going to the Eagles to get any better than it already is. There you go. So if, whether you want to be a gung-ho team supporter or whether you want to be petty – there is a reason for you to want the Saints to win this weekend. I
2: agree because you want your team to you win, you want to build on some momentum, you want to finish the season with four straight wins. Oh, and additionally, you get to beat a division rival, right? That that it's a divisional game. Like I would love nothing more. This weekend I'm going to be hoping that my Commanders rise to the occasion. And just make the Dallas Cowboys look bad. Will it happen? Probably not. Dallas is the far better team. All right. My, my team's 7-8-1. and one. And they have a head coach that doesn't understand playoff scenarios. And they have an owner who's the a, a terrible human being. But I still want my team to win. I still would want them to win, especially against a division rival. I just don't understand why you wouldn't want to do that. Just It perplexes me, Mr. Green. It perplexes me.
4: I agree, and I, I'll be honest. I want your team to beat the Dallas Cowboys too. I think most of America does. <laughs> well,
2: we'll, well, we'll try. We'll, we'll try our best. I'll make sure to shoot a memo up to Riverboat Ron and say, "Hey, do you think you can have competent quarterback play for I don't know three quarters? Try uh, to make it happen."
4: We're asking a lot.
2: Yeah, I'm asking a lot. I know. I, know. Uh, Jamie, appreciate the phone call, brother. Enjoy your day. Enjoy your weekend, bud, with the family.
4: Appreciate it, guys. Y'all have a great weekend as well. Talk to you later.
2: Yeah, the commanders. Ugh. You know, remember on the air, I said, I'm not going to allow myself to buy into the hope that this team was giving me because, you know, It looks like the the NFL was forcing Daniel Snyder to sell the team, which brought me just immense joy. And then they started winning games, and I was like, hey, watch out. Commander's in the playoff hunt. Daniel Snyder's being forced to sell the team? Oh, look at that. That's what I'm talking about. And they went on that nice little run where they won six of seven, and they beat the likes of the Packers. And they beat the Eagles. And I'm like, yes. And then came the tie to the Giants. And I was like, oh, no. I just, I just, I just, knew, it. just knew it. As soon as they tied the G-Men, I was like, oh, here it goes. And people were like, oh, no, no they're, they're still on the hunt. And I was like, no, they're not. <laughs> I know my team way too well. I know it way too well. I hate the owner, and I have a love-hate relationship with my team. But I know too well tie against the Giants loss against the Giants loss to the 49ers absolutely shellacked 24 to 10 to the woeful Cleveland Browns
8: someone ate too much cake and now our belly is upset oh
2: just they can't figure out they're, they're going to start Sam Howell the former North Carolina quarterback they're going to say hey you know what the other two guys are mediocre at best Let's throw a third QB out there. Let's see what he's got in the tank. Taking it on a playoff team in the Dallas Cowboys in a division rivalry game.
8: Why not? Oh,
2: just so many L's. <laughs> so many L's. Get so close. And my guy Darren understands my pain because he's a diehard Jets fan. And it was hope this year, too, that the Jets were going to push through. Remember? Oh, the yeah. Jets look like they're going to be a playoff team, and sure enough, the Jets do Jet things and say, no, 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 no. You just thought that was going to happen. In fact, it's not because we've screwed up the quarterback position yet again, just like, the, or just like Washington does. It's a revolving door of mediocre quarterback play and hitching your wagon to guys that aren't capable of leading a franchise. The Jets sam darnold then it was like we got to get rid of sam darnold let's get zach wilson now they now apparently they're going to try to cut or trade zach wilson this offseason this is what happens when you overreach for a quarterback in the draft or if you overpay for a quarterback in free agency
8: if you screw that up
2: congratulations
8: maybe i'm screwed pooch (sighs) oh
2: I'd love nothing more than, though, to beat Dallas (laughs) on Sunday. That would bring me great joy to beat the Cowboys. And that's the late game. It's the late afternoon game. So we'll know a little bit more about the, the, the playoff positioning and the jockeying. You know, will that game even matter for Dallas by that time? Because the way it boils down to if Philly wins its game, against the Giants, they win. But the bad thing for Washington is that game goes on at the same time as the Dallas game. So Giants-Eagles play at the same exact time as Washington-Dallas. But the reports are that the Giants may rest some of their starters because they're not going to improve their playoff positioning with a win. But it is a divisional game. Ugh. And the Cardinals and 49ers are playing on at the same time as well. So Dallas will be motivated. So I'd love nothing more, though, to beat the Cowboys.
8: Do it, I dare you. If
2: if my commanders slash Washington football team slash Redskins, if they beat Dallas on Sunday to wrap up the regular season with the win and just – embarrass the Cowboys and hand them an L in the regular season finale and let Dallas go ahead and taste defeat early because you know it's going to happen in the playoffs. I will rock my Redskins gear on Monday on the show. Jersey and bomber jacket, leather bomber jacket. I will be rocked out in my Washington gear if my team can beat the Cowboys on Sunday. That's my promise.
8: You're going to pinky swear after the break?
2: I, I'll pinky swear right now.
8: i come in one second.
2: I'll pinky swear right now. If my beloved Redskins slash football team slash commanders actually beats Dallas on Sunday afternoon, I will rock all the Redskins gear I have. There it is. If you're watching on the simulcast, pinky promise has been made that I will, in fact, rock my Washington gear Monday morning right here on RP3 and Company. Should I go ahead and get it out of the closet? I have all my jerseys up there.
8: Just make sure you have it somewhere. You Not, can no. Find I, it.
2: I know where all my, my gear is. I have a love-hate relationship with my team, but I know where my Fred Smoot and Chris Cooley and Sean Taylor, John Riggins jerseys are at. I have multiple. I also have my jacket. They're all in the same place with all my gear. I haven't had a chance to wear it and be proud. But if they beat Dallas on Sunday, I will roll in here. A happy clam on Monday rocking my gear.
8: Will we also take a picture and send it to Martin and, you know, Moses (laughs) and possibly my old boss? Yes, 100%. Yes. All the Cowboy fans that I know. Yes, we will do all of that. All three of them. All (laughs) of that will happen.
2: All of that will happen. We got to take a timeout. We will come back. We'll update the poll question of the day and wrap up hour number two. That's all next right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana sports station and your home for the LSU Tigers and the world series champion, Houston Astros. Let's head out to the hotline. Welcome on Mike to the show. Mike, good morning to you, brother. Happy new year. What's on your mind.
5: Happy new year. i uh- there's only so much cowboy hate I can take before I gotta call in and defend my team. <laughs> hey, I can respect I that. You, I want to get a that. number. RP three. Give it to me, bud. I want you to. I want you to take a guess what Dak Prescott's record is against the Washington Redskins slash Commanders slash football team. Uh, I
2: I would. I think it's really good, right?
5: Nine and one.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. He he dominates us.
5: Nine. and he is nine and one all time, and uh, Dak Prescott's playing Sunday. Now I don't know because of the format how long he's going to be playing. So there's an outside chance Washington could win if we pull our starters. But outside of that, no, that's not, Washington's yeah. going to get trounced.
2: Yeah. See, that's why I'm not worried about having to pull out my dusty redskins gear for monday's show because there's I, will, still- I
5: will say this though i do agree with you on one thing and i'm me and you are similar in age just like herm Edwards says you play to win the game i don't care if it's irrelevant or not you always play to win yes so uh, at these I, I i would understand maybe a little more if you were in the running for the number one overall pick maybe to get a quarterback. But you know these Saints fans acting like it sounds like Boudin to me. You're not getting a first-round pick, so you might as well enjoy the Carolina game and hope you win. Exactly. It has no bearing on the draft except for the Eagles.
2: There you go, brother. Appreciate the phone and call, thanks, bud. Thanks,
5: thanks a lot. Hey, and one other thing. You know how I knew you were a Washington fan? How so, bud? There's only two fan bases that Pinky swear: Saints and <laughs> Commanders. Later. <laughs>
3: Oh, Bravo, bravo.
2: I'm here for it. I'm here for it. That's going to do it for hour number two, hour number three. We're going to kick it off with Connor O'Gara of Saturday Down South. We're going to preview the national championship game between TCU and UGA. That's what we'll do next right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros.
0: Everything, everything going to be all right this morning.
1: Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3.
2: The national championship game is set. UGA Bulldogs defending national champs. Going to be taking on TCU, the Horn Frogs. Great turnaround season for them. Sonny Dykes made an instant impact with TCU. Who would have thought the Horn Frogs would be in the national championship game? Who would have thought we'd had a season? where the Tulane Green Wave would win won the Cotton Bowl over the USC Trojans. To talk about the college football playoff semifinals and the New Year's Six Bowl games, as well as previewing Monday's championship game, is one of our favorites. The man who's a columnist, reporter for Saturday Down South and Saturday Tradition, Connor O'Gara, joins us now on RP3 and Company. Connor, good morning to you, brother. Happy New Year, my friend. How are you?
9: You too, man. Uh, doing well. It's uh, it always makes me a little bit sad to know we only got one college football game left. But you know, I, I think for the average college football fan, this game is kind of everything you could have hoped for, and it's been something that we've we've lacked in the playoff era. So everybody should be looking forward to Monday night.
2: Uh, I, I'm excited because it, it should be a really exciting game. Let's break down the two semifinals because. For years, we have complained about the semifinal games being, snooze, you know, snooze fest, right? You know, r- routes, not very competitive. We get two classic games last weekend in the semifinals. And let's start with the first one. I'm there at the Sugar Bowl wrapping things up. I start watching the Michigan TCU game. And I watched the early part of it on the monitors there inside the Superdome Connor. And I I went, uh oh. Like I it just it was one of those things where it was like, uh oh, Michigan's sloppy, Michigan's not got their head on straight, bad fourth down and goal calls, pick sixes, and they made a game of it and it was a classic, but man, T C U looked like the far more prepared and focused team, especially early on in that game, and I think that made a difference.
9: It really did. I thought they were the better coached team. I thought Michigan got a little bit too cute, and they looked like a team that had been hearing about how great they were and how this was the year that they were going to get over the hump. And, you know, they made some critical mistakes in that game, and the turnovers were just so costly. And, yeah, I mean, you could argue that that play shouldn't have been overturned. I thought it was a touchdown, you know, the Ronnie Bell play. And oh, yeah. Looked, I I mean, like, I, I was at the – so I was at the Peach Bowl, and I was at a tailgate, and I was surrounded by Ohio State fans. And so they're kind of reacting to every play. And I had turned away after that touchdown thinking, all right, extra point. You know, I can go have a conversation with somebody. And then like two minutes later, I turned to the TV and they're like, oh, no, Michigan just fumbled. I'm like, what do you mean they fumbled? I thought they scored a touchdown. And that was just one of those key plays in that game that you're like, maybe it's just not Michigan's day. And it wasn't Michigan's day. And maybe Michigan wins that game seven out of 10 times when they play it, but TCU made those right plays, and I, I thought the-, the chunk plays were so huge. And what we saw from Quentin Johnson, you know, that was the game breaker. That that, in my opinion, TCU needed because Max Duggan wasn't perfect in that game. He really wasn't. And you know, I-, I still think that that Michigan had the talent to be able to play for a national championship this year, but. You know, you're reminded that winning and getting to this point in in the college football playoff era is so difficult. It doesn't matter if you're 13-0. It really doesn't. And TCU showed up and, and kind of won that game that people said it wasn't supposed to. And I've been comparing this TCU team to 2013 Auburn. 2013 Auburn, their fun-is-supposed-to-stop-here game was kick six, obviously. And for TCU, I thought it was this game against Michigan in which they outlasted them. And whether or not you thought it was targeting at the end, I think TCU still deserved to win that football game.
2: How did Sonny Dykes turn it around? Like, I mean, it's this was a team with a losing record a year ago. And now they're playing for a national title. We typically don't see those type of turnarounds in year one, Connor. It usually takes a few years for a coach to come in and turn things around, and yet the Horn Frogs are 60 minutes away from being national champions.
9: Yeah, I think um, if if you're looking at this simply from the perspective of, well, this should be the new standard for first-year head coaches, I I think that's ambitious because I I think that (laughs) takes away from just how impressive this is. I mean, the dude took over a non-bowl team who replaced its statue coach I mean, and and they're going to a national championship. That that is an unbelievable feat. And it, you say, you know, how did how did you do it? Well, use the portal a little bit here and there, obviously. But this comes down to just properly utilizing Max Duggan. And this was something I was talking to CBS Sports to Shehan about. And one of the things he brought up is he's like, I, I've watched a lot of TCU the last few years, and it felt like Max Duggan was used improperly and that he would throw all these passes either behind the line of scrimmage or it was a deep bomb. And you needed to utilize the middle of the field a little bit more effectively with this offense. And what Sonny Dykes and Garrett Riley have really tapped into is that that part of his game. And when that's not there, him being able to use his legs effectively. And so utilizing a player like Max Duggan, who ends up being a Heisman Trophy runner-up, to me has really unlocked the potential of this team and we we've seen Quint, Quentin Johnson develop into this stud player and yeah, they've been a little bit then but don't break at times, but they've been outstanding in coverage on the outside with those two stud corners, of course. And I, I think that they've just found this belief. We've talked about this with LSU a lot in these games this year in which they are like, Oh, you're kinda of, you're trailing in the second half of football games. I mean, they were TCU was tied or trailing in the fourth quarter five times this year. Usually a team that makes it to a national championship isn't doing that, but It's finding this belief, finding this belief that you're never out of a game with a first-year head coach, and they have truly bought into everything that Sonny Dykes has been selling, and they've made these right tweaks to be able to maximize the potential of this team.
2: When I watched, and I've watched TCU a few times from afar just on television this year, and what I noticed in the game against Michigan as well, that TCU was able to get their wide receivers open in space and get them – in one-on-one matchups and have them beat Michigan's coverage and Michigan has a good defense. How were they able to do that, Connor?
9: Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I think it's about taking advantage of, of what that defense is giving you. That, that big chunk play that Quentin Johnson had where he was just off the races, I mean, that, that's just an underneath pass. And when you're playing zone coverage, he kind of finds the soft spot. He makes one guy miss in the open field with a little stutter step and then, boom, he's gone just like that. I mean that that's recognizing what a defense is giving you. It helps to have a veteran quarterback who's been starting at the Power 5 level for several years like Max Duggan has, but you know that that's what I think this comes down to. And you know Georgia, we all know Georgia likes to play its press man coverage on the outside, but Kirby Smart said after the Ohio State game, "Look, we've played press man, we've played zone and Nothing really worked. I mean, we tried a lot of different things. It wasn't that we were just, you know, digging our heels in. We were making adjustments over the course of the game, and they were just finding different ways. And it felt like against Ohio State, Georgia, every single time it couldn't get pressure, they would have these crossing routes, and they would find ways to get guys open. And TCU can very well do that. They don't have the same receiver depth that Ohio State does, but obviously we've seen them make those plays, and that's the, the danger if you can't get to Max Duggan And Georgia wasn't able to get to C.J. Stroud, and that's why they were able to make those plays over the middle. So, yeah, it does present a challenge, and I think that you know TCU, after seeing what it did against Michigan, to be able to kind of free some of those guys open and to take what the defense is giving them, I think they're more than capable of doing that against this Georgia defense.
2: Let's switch over to Georgia because you were there at the Peach Bowl and and the bulldogs prevail in the the stadium where they've played, you know, three times this season in the Chick-fil-A you know kickoff and then SEC Championship and then of course the Peach Bowl. Ohio State had them dead to rights. Right? You have a double-digit lead heading into the fourth quarter against the defending national champs and I know Marvin Harrison Jr got knocked out of the game and that played a role. You were there break it down for me how did ohio state choke this one away or did georgia just show that it has the championship pedigree and and was able to pull out the win or is it a little
9: bit of both uh it's both it's always both um but you know the weird thing is though like even though i say that ohio state did not feel like it choked this game away and you have a guy trip On the the Arian Smith touchdown, which that was the key play that flipped everything for Georgia. They said afterwards, once that play happened, it was like, oh, we really think that we can win this football game. And, you know, of course, the play right before it was the best timeout that Kirby Smart has ever called on the fake punt, which Ohio State had executed. And it looked like it was going to work. But of course, he got the timeout in and he had recognized that play at the line of scrimmage. Like, Georgia used to not get those breaks. They used to be the team that would always find a way to lose these games, always. and you know, you could always you could go go back to the fake point in the same exact building four years earlier with Justin Fields. You know that play is is so dubious in, in Georgia lore, and we talk about you know what does it take to to win a championship? Well, you you got to catch a few breaks at some point, point. And, and Georgia even last year caught a few breaks at some key points, and you could point to the national championship with the Jameson Williams injury and how that benefited them. But, you know, I think in this game, they caught that break, and they took advantage of it, and that's what this Georgia team is always so capable of. I thought they were done. I had already written an entire column about Ryan Day (laughs) out-coaching Kirby Smart in that game, and I just had to rip up that column and say, all right, you know, that's that's not really what happened, and Georgia just, you know, never really you know, told itself that it was done. And it's cliche, and everybody's sick of it. But the Seth and Bennett angle—I mean, he was perfect when he needed to be perfect in that game. And even though he admittedly played thirty bad minutes of football, he still came back and made those key plays down the stretch. And it's just a reminder—you you might think you have this Georgia team dead to rights, and they can still find a way to come back and beat you.
2: That leads us to Monday. At SoFi Stadium, where no tailgating is going to be allowed. Well, well, well uh, uh, yeah. decisions were made that were poor. But Georgia's trying to become the first back to back national champ since Alabama did it in 11 and 12. And really, in the last 30 years, Connor, it's rare. Nebraska, 94 95, USC, uh, uh, 3 and 4, and then, of course, Alabama, 11 and 12. And they would become the first college football playoff national champion to actually successfully win repeat Clemson's tried Alabama's tried they've all lost in the title game what do you think's going to happen Monday inside SoFi Stadium
9: I think George is going to repeat I do and uh, you know I, I think that that if you look at the spread what is it 13 13 and a half or something like that yeah which I think that's too, that seems high yeah it seems high it, it does just because has played in all these close games this year and their lone loss of course Kansas State in the Big 12 Championship, a game in which they were down two scores in the fourth quarter. They find a way to come back. They find a way to force overtime. So, like, this hasn't been the TCU way. And it's they just always play in these competitive games. They had the seven consecutive games that were decided by 10 points or less, first team since 1975 to do that. And you're thinking, okay, but at the same time, this is still Georgia. And this is still the Georgia team that you would take on a neutral site against anybody and even though they've shown vulnerability from a defensive standpoint what they've also shown in these last two games is that they can win a shootout under kirby smart up until the sec championship they were one in nine in games in which they allowed 30 points and when they allowed less than 30 points they were 73 and six and they've in the last two games they've won these games in which it has gone back and forth and it's been high scoring so I think this Georgia team has just shown more ways to be able to win. I still trust Stetson Bennett to be able to make clutch plays in those defining moments. And I think this Georgia defense can play bend but don't break. I think they're going to play bend but don't break break yet again. And I think that ultimately they're able to win a, a thrilling national championship that's similar to 2013 Auburn Ooh. against Florida State. And I think that, that Georgia wins this game 41-35. to 35.
2: Talking with Connor O'Gara of Saturday Down South and Saturday Tradition. He joins us here in RP3 and Company. All right, bud. I want to ask you about the other marquee bowl games because we had some good ones. And I want to start off with Tulane USC. The spread indicated that Tulane didn't have a chance. And yet the Green Wave found a way to win the game at the very end. Their biggest bowl win since winning the Sugar Bowl in 1939. USC Heisman Trophy winner he puts on a show but they come up short Lincoln Riley unable to win the Cotton Bowl what are your
9: thoughts of what happened in Fort Worth Dallas all the credit in the world to Tulane keep fighting in that game keep playing like a team that's got nothing to lose love to see that love to see when teams you know truly go all in for for bowl games like that and I love it when you can tell just how much it, it means to them and you could definitely tell. I mean, the, the reactions from Tulane fans in the crowd—that was that was great. They were they were so they were surprised to be winning that game. It felt like, and that was a, a huge moment for that program. I mean, you, you can't say enough uh, about what they were able to do this year. But you know, on the USC side, that, that's that's going to be more of the national takeaway, of course. And Lincoln Riley just hasn't figured out defense yet. I mean, it, it's pretty simple. He's one and four in bowl games, and his one win was against a Florida team in 2020. That. You know, it turned the page the next year and was playing without Kyle Pitts, Kadarius, Tony, and Trayvon Grimes. So, you know, I, I think that Lincoln Riley still has to answer that question. And I was kind of blown away that so many people were saying, oh, well, he's at USC now, so he's all of a sudden going to get the defensive talent and he's going to have that part of the game figured out, and he's inevitably going to win national championships. I'm like, I'll take Brian Kelly to win a national championship at LSU before Lincoln Riley does at USC because I still don't think he's shown that. and. You have to be critical in the way that you evaluate these things. Like, say what you want about Ryan Day. Ryan Day, after 2021, after getting just shellacked by Michigan, says, all right, we're going to go to Oklahoma State. We're going to get Jim Knowles. We're going to pay him $2 bucks." Lincoln Riley's not been that critical with his defensive coordinator, and he continues to employ Alex Grinch, even though it doesn't look like it's working out. And they need to figure out that side of the ball. Otherwise, they're not going to win a national championship. They're going to waste Caleb Williams. They've wasted a lot of these great quarterbacks that we've seen over the last five years in the sport and I think this is ultimately going to be what holds Lincoln Riley back. Go figure that his little brother, Garrett Riley, shout out to little brothers, Garrett Riley (laughs) is the one that is going to be calling plays in a national championship before Lincoln Riley. Just a crazy, crazy thought. But defense is holding him back, and until he figures that out, I don't want to hear about USC winning a national championship.
2: They just tackle so poorly. They just attack the tackling so poorly. It's just awful to, to watch. Another game that surprised folks was the Orange Bowl. Tennessee, no Hinton Hooker because of injury, no Hyatt, no other uh, number two wide receiver, no starting linebacker. Uh, Tennessee is depleted, and they're taking on a Clemson team that is motivated because Dabo Sweeney says things in press conferences that ruffle feathers. And it was all volunteers down in South Beach. How surprising were you by that performance by Josh Heupel's crew?
9: Very, very surprised. Uh, Speaking of 2020 Florida, I thought that was going to be what Tennessee felt like in this game, Uh, a team that was without three key offensive skill players, and I thought they were going to lose that game by three scores. I really did. And that's having watched a lot of Joe Milton and not being overly optimistic that they were going to be able to sustain scoring drives against a Clemson defense that's still really good. And I thought we were going to see kind of the coming out party for k Klubnick. You could say that's the ACC championship, I guess, but I thought this was going to be a big moment for Clemson in which they kind of turn the page to 2023 and say, see, we're going to be fine. We've got the right guy in a quarterback now. Everything's going to be good. That didn't happen. Joe Milton was great. I've never seen a, a guy throw 60 yards so effortlessly like he did on that pass to Squirrel White. It was majestic. I think that what that game did for Josh Heupel's program was show, okay, even after the frustrating ending, what happened in Columbia, they still were able to, 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 to put a game plan together that made a lot of sense. They frustrated that Clemson offensive line. And ultimately, you know, Tennessee has its best season since 2001. I thought it was really important for them to finish that way and to show that they still cared in that game. And clearly, I mean, Joe Milton has made some strides and he's going to have a chance to be the starter for Tennessee moving forward until Nico ultimately comes along and the five-star true freshman gets to take over. But, yeah, just a monumental win for Josh Heupel, and don't think that that should be lost in the shuffle despite the fact that they had that that, that just horrible, horrible night in South Carolina. What
2: would you make of how Alabama performed with Bryce Young and Anderson playing in the Sugar Bowl and Young going out with five touchdown passes? It sure did seem like they cared about that game to, to me.
9: Yeah, loved it, absolutely loved it, and I, I think Bryce Young is the best quarterback in Alabama history. I do, and I, I don't think there should be a whole lot of debate. And if you want to tell me about rings and whatnot, uh, that that's fine, you, you, you can. But if you're if you're sitting there at a schoolyard picking AJ McCarron over Bryce Young, I mean, just all right, just tell me that you don't watch football. That's fine. Um, he was brilliant. <laughs> I mean, dude was incredible. That one that he had at Ja'Cory Brooks in the corner of the end zone, where you couldn't have handed it off better than he did. Uh, to me, it was such a fitting send off for him, and I'm glad that he got that. And instead of having this, like you know, kind of just strange ending to his career, and the way that we felt like with Tua with the hip injury and the way that played out. Bryce Young kind of got this nice moment and, and Will Anderson as well. I love the way that they kind of used him. They, they protected him, limited his snap count in that game and made sure that that, the, that those two guys weren't getting hurt. That would have been the worst possible result to see one of those two guys get hurt when they should be top three picks in the NFL draft. So I, I thought it was great for Alabama to be able to play its best game of the year. And I didn't think that that game showed all the a sudden that they deserved to be in the playoff or something like that. They played their best game of the year against a really solid Kansas State squad and they flipped that switch that they really hadn't had all season. And to me, that, that just still speaks to Nick Saban having a, a good pulse on the culture of his program.
2: Connor, appreciate the time. As always, keep up the tremendous work that you're doing with Saturday Down South and Saturday Tradition, brother. Happy New Year to you and yours, and we'll talk to you soon, bud.
9: Absolutely appreciate it, man
2: hey if you didn't get what you wanted from Santa not to worry we have the gifts you really want inside the game clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com as a member of our rewards club you're going to have the opportunity to score excellent prizes like a $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester's Steakhouse at Cypress Bayou Casino Resort you can also get yourself a $25 gift certificate to Mabel's Kitchen also there at Cypress Bayou we also have $50 gift certificate to Richard Seafood Patio in Abbeville. A $40 gift card to Misfits Dine and Drink in Broussard. They're all there waiting for you, wanting you to win them. But you can only score these great prizes by becoming a member of the Game Clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. It's free. It's simple. So go sign up today. We got to take a timeout more rp3 and company coming up right here on the game southwest louisiana sports station and your home for the lsu tigers and the world series champion houston astros
1: download the free the game mobile app for android and apple devices no matter where you are in the country you can listen to the game 1037 lafayette and 1041 lake charles southwest louisiana's sports station
2: whole question of the day oh man Saints wrap up the season this Sunday against the Kitty Cats from Charlotte that's right Carolina Panthers come to town Saints are looking to win four straight to end the season they've already been eliminated from playoff contention but it would help build up some momentum right and uh, Saints fan don't act like you're not accustomed to having seven and nine seasons or, you know, one game below 500 seasons. You had three straight seven and nine seasons with Sean Payton as your head coach and Drew Brees as your quarterback. It wasn't that long ago. So don't think you're too good for an eight and nine season. Does it matter to you if the Saints beat the Panthers in the finale? If you're a true fan, yeah. Because you want your team to win. You're always rooting for your team, whether they're in the playoffs or not you want your team to win. Only 60% of you say yes. Always want to win. 40% of you say no, it doesn't matter. Who are these people? Who are you? I'm Hannah. Yes, hello, Hannah.
8: (laughs) You really want the game. You want them to win because I'm going to go to the game. It's my first NFL game ever. So now you really want them to win.
2: Yes. John Paul, the Cajun Daddy, says... Yes, you always want to win and finish the season on a positive note and reduce the pick that the Eagles get from the Saints. Yes, you always want to win. B-Rad says, I got to ride or die, right? Yes, share the gift of Fast and the Furious. I'm always down for Fast and the Furious gifts, by the way. Rocky says, do we want the loss to make it easier to fire DA? Make room for Payton to come back? If they want Sean Payton to come back, it doesn't matter what happens in this game.
8: No. No. Not at all.
2: This game has no bearing on whether or not Sean Payton returns or not. I don't believe he will. That's just my take. Who dat forever says, I really don't care. And I don't think the Panthers or their fans care either. Then you're not rolling with your team. It's a division rival. Mm-hmm. You always want to beat your division rival. Always, 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 always. Always. I want to always have. The Redskins slash football team slash commanders beat the Cowboys, beat the Giants, beat the Eagles. And if I go further back, beat the Cardinals because they used to be in our same division. But that's what I want every time.
8: And you want to get swept by a division rival this season? No, No, you don't want to be
2: swept by your division rival. Doug says, as the great foot would say, stomp them Arnold's into a mud
8: hole. 100%.
2: Yes. So keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. Does it matter to you? the Saints beat the Panthers in the finale yes always want to win no it doesn't matter I can't believe only 60% of you say yes what's going on are there bots involved if there some type of shenanigans with stuffing the ballots because the comments say yes you should roll with wanting your team to win but the vote totals do not suggest that we got to take a timeout when we return TJ Jones from the State of the Saints podcast is going to join us previewing Saints Panthers regular season finale. That's all coming up next, right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros.
1: Who to is ready for Saints talk? The to, to Camaro breaks through,
9: spins at the two, into
1: the end zone. To talk Saints with the big easy blitz here on RP3 and Company.
2: TJ Jones from the State of the Saints podcast joins us here as we gear up for the season finale for the Saints as they all take on the Carolina Panthers Sunday inside the Superdome. TJ, good morning to you, brother. Happy New Year to you and yours, my friend.
6: Happy New Year to you too, Ray. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, And uh, I'm I'm excited to talk a little bit about Saints football as we get close to the, the season finale. Let's talk
2: a little bit about this game and where this team is trending, right? Because they are playing better defensively, they've played really well the last five to six weeks. Right. They started to figure things out. It feels like to me, and offensively, they're doing enough because they're actually getting the ball in their playmakers' hands, which they didn't do for ten weeks.
6: Right.
2: I know. Obviously, it's a little too you know too little too late. They can't get into the postseason. But what's been the big difference for you watching this team week in week out in the last say five weeks?
6: I think it's a testament to the character of guys they have in that locker room. I mean, I know most teams that probably wouldn't put up this type of fight, especially when it seems like when they do, it always seems like they come out on the receiving end of a hell. Um, you you got to give credit where credit is due to these guys for them to be able to continue to fight, not looking at what the uh, the opposition is doing and focusing mostly on what they're actually doing. And I think that has been the reason why they've been so successful. and guys have really been leaning on one another. And you know, I guess you have to give uh, uh, coach Dennis Allen some credit for that. You know, a lot of members of the Who that Nation may want to see this guy exit stage left left at the end of the season, but it seems like those players in the locker room have something different to say about that. They do seem to play hard for
2: him as the season has progressed. It wasn't always the case early in the season. So I don't know if that's the veteran guys in the locker room saying, Hey guys, it's time to step up. We got to play with some pride here. Uh, you know, I'm not for sure why that's happening, but it is happening. And to be able to finish off the regular season with four straight wins, build some momentum, give you a little bit of hope that maybe Dennis Allen could at least be maybe, you know, Jim Hazlitt good enough. To be a head coach, and maybe maybe that's the ceiling here. But how do you how do you feel about the team right now, TJ, heading into this finale?
6: Me personally, I'm not really impressed. I mean, there, there's this old saying I've seen this movie before. I seen it last year, and that's that's one of the main reasons why we felt that if we were to lose Sean Payton, we were so confident as a fan base that we'll be able to continue to do some of the things that we've been doing because how the Saints finished off last year like they won four of their last five games. If the Saints win against Carolina, they have won four of their last five games just like last year, and it's going to give people, like, this false sense of hope. Um, I'm not a real big Dennis Allen fan. I feel like you can do better as, as as an organization finding somebody else that's different. But back to what you were originally saying about these guys in the locker room, you know, that was a locker room issue back in 2016. Even Drew Brees talked about that and said that he even thought about retiring. And from 2017 on to now, the Saints have really prided themselves on getting high-character guys. Um, it depends on what side of the fence you stand on. You know, uh, is it a testament to the guys that they selected and how high-character they are as far as them com- continuing to compete? Or is it Dennis Allen? I mean, I don't know. I think it's a little bit of both. But I think we have to give Dennis Allen a little bit of credit because at the end of the day, if this thing would have went awry then we probably would have been talking about, oh, he lost the team. So I think we have to give him a little bit of credit, even if uh, it has a lot to do with the guys they selected for the last four to five years.
2: The season did feel like it was teetering on him losing the team, right? Right. Um, But they have been able to kind of turn things around. And I, I do believe it's probably a combination of they're fighting hard, whether or not they're fighting and playing hard for him or they're just fighting and playing hard for themselves is something we'll really never know, right? TJ, they're not going to throw their coach under the bus. That's just not how the guys in the locker room are built. That's just not how they are. So we'll, we'll see what happens, but they're going to head into an off season with some uncertainty, right? Got to figure out what you're going to do at quarterback. You got to figure out What you're going to do at running back, because you obviously don't have the talent and depth there that you need. What are you going to do across the defensive line, which was a major disappointment this season? What's the biggest offseason questions for you facing this team?
6: It has to be the quarterback position. Look, I don't want the New Orleans Saints to get into this, um, you know, quarterback uh, situation where you're just bringing in uh, seasoned veterans every single year. That's the type of stuff that happened with Miami um, before they got Tua. This will happen with Buffalo before they got Josh Allen. It's what's and, happening
2: currently with Indianapolis.
6: Exactly. So you, you find yourself bringing in these guys. I think that the Saints just need to buckle down and get a, a guy through the draft. Look, I just think that it's time for you to find – that true successor and, and and trying to get these guys in free agency and hoping that they are uh what you want them to be, or the older guys trying to must up that last bit of ability that they have inside of their body to make your team successful. I just think that you're kicking the can down the road. I just think that the Saints uh need to do their due diligence. They have done a good job at scouting players to get these guys in the locker room. And I just think these guys need to do their due diligence finding the next uh, franchise quarterback like there's some really good guys in the draft rather you you know get a first round pick because you trade Sean Payton for for example or if you can probably find yourself getting a guy like Hendon Hooker in the second round the Saints need to uh, focus on the quarterback position and secondly would be the pass rush um, on the defensive line you have to find somebody that can be opposite of Cam Jordan I mean Cam Jordan has been a uh, steady Eddie for years right he, he has only missed like one game due to injury I mean, that's an outlier. You're going to have to find somebody that can get get you what you need on the defensive line because I think we all can agree they definitely took a step back. And I just think that when you're looking at guys like Turner and Davenport, they have not given you what you thought they were going to give you. So it's time for you to find somebody that is young, that has a high motor, and that can be disruptive on this defensive line.
2: Yeah, look, uh, uh, Turner doesn't play, so – that's been a huge issue for him. He's Marcus Davenport 2.0. Davenport in a contract year was a wild disappointment. I thought he would have been far better this year, and he was not, especially with him playing for a deal. And let's be honest, David Onyemata, that guy was a no-show. Like, I mean, he, got the, he had the suspension, and he has not made an impact. So I agree with you. Got to figure out quarterback, got to figure out defensive line, and I would throw another one out, T.J., They have used Alvin Kamara in all the wrong ways this season. I don't know why they believe he's a downhill runner. I don't know why they're trying to use him like he's Jerome Bettis out there or or Ironhead Hayward because he's not. He's not Deuce McAllister. He's not Ironhead Hayward. He's Alvin Kamara, right? He is an all-purpose back, and you use him like Marshall Falk instead of trying to use him like he's a power back. They got to fix that, too, in the offseason, right? They they got to figure that out to be able to keep utilizing Kamara and what he's good at and then find somebody else, a complement running back, that can carry the load for the tough yards.
6: Yeah, I agree. Look, you're going to be wasting years of uh, production that Alvin Kamara can give you. Like, we shouldn't be having conversations and, and, and shocked that the New Orleans Saints decide to run a screen to Alvin Kamara. Like. That 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 type of stuff is a no-brainer. Like, we've seen this guy, you know, catch a pass from Drew Brees and take it 50 yards nonchalant. Like, you know, like into the end zone. Like, he can turn nothing into something quickly. I, I don't understand, like, why I don't I call uh, more screen passes a, a choice routes for Alvin Kamara? I mean, you look at the last couple of weeks, 21 carries, most of them coming right up the middle. Yeah, I think that you need somebody that can be – uh, you know, opposite of him. Somebody that can give you that Mark Ingram type of uh, run, you know, running up the middle, get those tough yards. They had it with Latavius Murray. Uh, you know, they probably thought they had it with uh, David Johnson for a little bit, but they, they need to find uh, another guy that can be opposite of uh, Alvin Kamara because, like I said, you're going to be wasting uh, his years where he can be extremely productive and then we'll look up and be like, what happened to Alvin? I don't think anything happens to Alvin. I think it has a lot to do with the play calling, and they have to fix that in the off offseason as well.
2: Yeah, you you can't keep trying to go with the great value running back you know, nonsense that they've been doing for the last couple of years. You can't do that. You can't keep just trying to get guys off the trash heap that no one else wants, right? I, I, you, you have to be committed. If you want to be have a, a power run game, then you have to be committed to get a guy in there, a young guy that you can pair up like you had with – Boom and Zoom, right? You had Ingram, who'd been in the league for like four years when you drafted Kamara, and you paired him up. Before then, it was Pierre Thomas and Reggie Bush, or or Ivory and Bush. Like You you know what to do. The template is there. You just got to utilize the template. I guess my next question to you, and you brought it up, Pete Carmichael, (laughs) do you believe that he's the guy to call the offensive plays for this team in 2023 and do you have faith that he and Dennis Allen can develop that young quarterback that you want the Saints to draft and develop in the next couple years
6: absolutely not (laughs) Um, not. (laughs) well that's a problem TJ that's a problem Uh, honestly like you cannot keep one without like letting the other go it's just like they're too I I said this on the state of the Saints podcast they're too like-minded like they're, they're too conservative one is extremely conservative on the offensive side the other one is extremely conservative on the defensive side and this is one of the main reasons why I, I hate to say this when people start bringing up names like Eric B enemy and you know they bring up Pete Carmichael why these guys aren't head coaches a lot of people start looking at Andy Reid and they start looking at Sean Payton because they are the main ones that's calling the plays and they wonder to themselves like, what would happen if this guy is the head coach and he solely is the one calling plays? Like, I think Pete Carmichael is a, a a good play caller. I don't think he's great. I think that a lot of people just may think that he's great because when times where he quote-unquote called games, you know, like the Saints, I think it was like one game where they played uh, the Colts uh, on Sunday night and they scored, scored 62 points, and they'll bring that up. But at the same time, if – Sean Payton doesn't like a play; he can be like, "Nah, I, I don't like that." Right? So you still have that that filter in in the process. Um, I just think that the Saints, if they need if they need a young quarterback, they need to go out here and find somebody that's uh, a quarterback whisperer. Like, I don't know if Frank Reich is going to get a, a head coaching job, but that's one guy. Um, I'm very interested to see. If there's been whispers out there in Miami with uh, Mike McDaniel's. Is he going to be a one and done coach? But there's somebody that's um, that's out there. That I feel like you can bring in that's going to be able to develop the quarterback. I'm very, very skeptical um, uh, about P. Carmichael and his ability to develop uh, uh, young quarterbacks because he doesn't have a history of doing so. And neither really does Sean Payton. Because Sean Payton normally just gets veteran guys. I don't think he really cares that much for like rookies, maybe feel like they develop a little bit too slow. Um, It takes them some time. But I think the Saints need to maybe look at a guy like Frank Reich and look real close to that situation in Miami, maybe bringing in a guy like Mike McDaniel if they decide to let him go.
2: TJ, it's always a pleasure to talk to you, my friend. Tell the people where they can go to get the State of the Saints podcast and check out all your work, my friend.
6: Well, thank you so much, Ray. Uh, the State of the Saints podcast is available on YouTube dot, uh, YouTube.com. Search the State of the Saints podcast. You can also check it out on all streaming platforms, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, uh, also, you can uh, follow me on Twitter at TJAYJones8.
2: Brother, appreciate the time.
6: Happy New Year, my man. Right, same to you, man. Take care.
2: Hey, let's be honest. We tend to have a lot of fun around here at the Game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, a Delta Media station. And if you're looking for a career change and have any type of sales experience, I'm talking working at a car lot. I'm talking telemarketing. I'm talking retail. It does not matter. Delta Media wants to hear from you. Email your resume to our sales director, Johnette Cochran at jcochran at deltamediacorp.com. That's jcochran at deltamediacorp.com or simply call 896-1600. That's 896-1600. If you're looking for a change and looking to get into sales, Delta Media wants to hear from you. We got to take a time out. When we return, we'll finalize the poll question of the day and get you set up for Kevin Foote and Footnotes. That's all coming up next, right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. Oh, again, Mardi Gras started the right way with a real fun run. Trail presents the Lundy Gras Barathon. It's going to be held on Monday, February 20th. It's four miles through Freetown, just south of the parade route. Wear a costume and enjoy free drinks throughout the course served at the Adult Hydration Station. A party bus will follow close behind so runners can jump aboard at any time. Run all or some or none. The audience will vote for the winner of the costume contest to so bring your loudest, craziest friends. It's the Lunday Graw Barthon. Free drinks, food, and prizes. Register now at latrail.org. That's latrail.org. I want to take a moment to thank our guest. Connor O'Gara from Saturday Down South, man, he was excellent. So was TJ Jones from the State, State of the Saints podcast. Poll question of the day. We asked you, it's about the regular season finale for the Saints versus the Panthers Sunday inside the Caesar Superdome. Does it matter to you if the Saints beat the Panthers in the finale? 61% of you say yes, always want to win. 39% say no, it doesn't matter. All those people that said no, you're wrong, I'm sorry, but you are. That's going to do it for us today. We'll be back on the air Monday morning, 6 to 9. It will be all about recapping the NFL weekend and previewing the national championship game between TCU and Georgia. we got a big slate of guests lined up for you on Monday. But until then, be safe out there. Be kind to of one another. Kevin Foote and Footnotes is up next right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros.